Chester. Ken loves talking about cars and automotive trends. And here he is, the automotive host with the most, Ken Chester. Welcome to Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and automotive technology talk show. I'm your host for the hour, Ken Chester. So glad you've chosen to be with us. As usual, I've packed this hour with topics chosen just for you. This week, it's all about bicycles and electric scooters, their growing popularity, and the growing challenges as cities grapple with this sudden influx of two-wheeled thunder. I'll end this hour with a peek on the current trials and tribulations of the Tesla 3, I'm sorry, Tesla Model 3 sedan. And as always, I look forward to hearing from you, my listeners. To add your voice to the conversation, call or text me in the Roadworthy Drive line, that number, 872-222-9793. If you would rather write, you can email me. That address, ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way, we'll connect you to me and the show. Now, we're fortunate again this week to have the Roadworthy Drive crew in studio at full strength. Starting with the man at the controls, you know him as the designated adult and resident curmudgeon. Hey! Yes, my good friend and Roadworthy Drive executive producer, Jack. At mic number two, back for a second week. After being secured in what they tell me was an undisclosed location, is our sweet and sassy social media diva and hardcore gamer girl, Sasha. Howdy, my peoples. Okay, now, I have to say something. I think that the people need to understand that that was an undisclosed and air-conditioned location. Why does the air conditioning matter? Uh, it is 100-plus degrees out there today, sir. It's uh, still... Are air conditioning matters. Oh, okay. Are you okay now? <laughs> I am. Are you okay? I am. Jack, I am. how you doing? I'm okay. Really rough week, but I'm okay. Okay. Well, you know, resident curmudgeon, we got to keep everything <laughs> no, on any of the No, no, no. I wish you would quit calling me that. Okay. I really do. Well, what is in the parts bin this week, sir? Oh, my. Here's what's going on. Um, we're taking a look at um, a civil engineer who's leading um, some senior graduate engineers is solving a couple of transportation projects, okay. problems. Um, here's a question for you, Jack. You'd mm -hmm. like this. Um, if a bicyclist crosses the road with no traffic signals that's filled with driverless cars, what would happen? The cars mm. would stop. No. I think that they would automatically calculate an algorithm that, that allowed them to maintain speed, maybe Go, go a little bit further, but they'd constantly be in motion. Uh, but he's crossing the rear road, so you're saying they'd hit him? No. I'm saying that they would adjust their speed and, um, and directional, and they would keep moving forward to allow for the speed of the bicyclist. Well, here's the thing. According to the, a professor of civic engineering, her name is Rhonda K. Young, the answer is nothing, assuming that you have a smartphone on your person. Okay, what does a smartphone have to do with geo this? Geo-tracking. It would know because, remember, vehicle to infrastructure, vehicle to anything. Okay. The smart the car would be talking to your cell phone, knowing the cell phone is mobile and probably with a person. Crossing the road and would adjust accordingly. 
That's what I was saying. Okay, now I'm going to come back to, to something that I've been questioning for a long time, sir, and that is this. Yes, sir. In, in any downtown, mm-hmm. you have people crossing the street with a traffic light. Mm-hmm. Are we going to keep the traffic lights in, in real urban areas, or are we going to get rid of them? That uh, depends. That's everything. Eventually, you they're gone. Them. Yeah. yeah you you'll, you'll have an information beacon that will use, again, vehicle to infrastructure – uh, that would communicate in that intersection with vehicles approaching, both approaching and leaving the intersection as to uh, pedestrian density, bicycle density, traffic density, and would, as Sasha said earlier, uh, governor speed accordingly. I get that. However, how many people leave their cell phones somewhere? Yes, but in the case, uh. of, the co- in the case of the car, in the case of LIDAR, which is part of the arsenal right. that they use— uh, you would also calculate that uh, in a story that we talked about uh, where uh, there'd be an algorithm that would respond in real time. Yeah, and see, my thing is is that you're also talking about not technology today where you're actually carrying around a device, but what as the technology with wearables advances, you might not actually have a phone by the mm-hmm. time we are in a fully autonomous world. Your communication device might be something that you put in your ear and something that it reads out in like a hologram type thing if you were wanting to send or you might have smart glasses or you might have implantables. There are all kinds of technologies that we are just beginning to explore. Okay. Let, let, wait, let, a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me I'm going to have the, the the communication device that Kirk had on Star Trek? I I possibly or hope, something like it. I hope but let me let me take this Beam particular me up, <laughs> let yes. me let me take this particular conversation a little further. Uh, what she said, equity issues aside, because not everybody has a smartphone. Mm-hmm. The future is connected. If you're on two wheels with a gadget in your pocket, these computerized cars will see you and stop. Her exact words: No traffic signal needed. Now let me talk about the couple of projects that she's working on. One of them is to develop a road, I guess, in the Seattle area uh, called the Cincinnati Greenway. It's a first-of-its-kind street that favors walkers and bicyclists over vehicles. Mm -hmm. Basically, their words, they want to create the friction to basically discourage. Cars could still use it, but they want to make it difficult enough that you wouldn't want to. Then how am I supposed to get around? You use your legs. um, What they're looking for is a greener future. Maybe for, to convince you to use different other roads, because I mean they're not using all the roads. It's one road. Okay. So I mean it would be different in your case if they were using all the roads. Then yeah, we got a problem, because then you've, you're looking at uh, delivery vans, moving vans, other commercial vehicles where mm-hmm. you just got to got to no matter what happens. The second project they're working with is with the Wyoming Department of Transportation. They call it a connected vehicle. Product uh, project testing short range vehicle to vehicle communication, and they're going to do that along their state's freight heavy Interstate 80. Now, while these are not driverless trucks, what they're talking about is allowing <coughs> excuse me <coughs> excuse me allowing autonomous vehicles to communicate in a network. Imagine a traffic jam or collision reported 20 miles ahead. Your vehicle would either slow at speed to avoid the dreaded stop and go jam. Or avoid the route altogether. Or if there's a particularly icy curve that a few cars ahead of it felt and reported, yours would slow down to avoid the slip. Okay. 
I want to ask you a question. Yes. This actually happened in our state yesterday. Okay. Part of Interstate 80, which runs through the state, Mm -hmm. exploded. What? The road itself? The road itself exploded. That's so hot. Where? Uh, Just west of a town called Adair. Okay. On Interstate 80. Okay. The way that it was reported to me was that, um, and I was working at our our flagship station, Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the way it was reported to me was the pavement exploded and basically took out 10 cars and four semis. Blew all the tires. I believe it. And you know, and you know why, don't you? Excessive heat. Yeah. And apparently whatever scoring they did to allow the expansion and contraction of the mm-hmm. pavement was insufficient. The pavement overexpanded, had nowhere to go, came but, uh, up. Yep. Um, it, it's a danger. We are in a particularly hot time of year yep. with sustained high temperatures that's unusual for us. Yeah. Now, in the case of what we're talking about, vehicle to infrastructure, mm-hmm. vehicles that, it, that had encountered this or even vehicles that were near that encountered this would have sent this information to other vehicles so it would have lessened traffic accidents or the amount of traffic that would have been on the road at that time. It would have diver- either diverted the traffic or stopped the traffic. Yeah. So here's a case where Vehicle to infrastructure could have mitigated uh, whatever happened, may have even tracked the condition of the road before it exploded. And then they could have told DOT what was going on. And basically stopped traffic from even traveling across that. Okay. So these are the sorts of things that vehicle to infrastructure has a future and that they're working with. Um, It's a groundwork. When we talk about connected cars, Mm -hmm. we've talked a lot here about information up and down. And, in fact, there was a similar um, project in this state along one of our corridors doing something similar to this, if not exact, with vehicles transmitting and receiving information about road conditions, traffic conditions, accidents, things of that nature. And I believe that was last year. That was last year. We talked about it. Absolutely did. So this is coming. Uh, It's part of the solution in better Better communication means safer roads and fewer traffic accidents, at least from condition or things of that nature. So uh, they're working on it. We'll see what happens. But I thought I'd share that. Um, Coming up, a folding bike that is more than a mere novelty. You're riding shotgun with Ken and the Roadworthy Drive crew. Drive is a cornerstone of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. This is a car pulling a heavy tow truck in deep snow. We made this switch to show you the amazing traction of BF Goodrich Trailmaker Silvertowns, the snow tires with the deepest biting edges of any major brand. Even while pulling this heavy load, Trailmakers dig in to get a grip on snow. You won't have to tow a tow truck with your car, but you will want this kind of traction for more pulling power. 
safer turns, quicker stops, and Trailmaker's edges are so deep that even after winters of wear, you still get the traction you need. Get the snow tires with enough traction to tow a tow truck. Get BFG Trailmaker Silvertowns at your BF Goodrich dealer. Look for the BF when you want to find Goodrich. I think the title of that uh, snow tire was longer than the tread in the tire. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Roadworthy Drive with me, your host, Ken Chester. And uh, with other members of the Roadworthy Drive crew, Jack at the controls, Sasha at mic two. And uh, as I'd like to say, this is not your father's car show. The Roadworthy Drive crew and I are just setting into this hour. And the subject for this segment is all about folding bikes. Now, until recently, I didn't even know they were a thing. I was amazed at what I learned, and I wanted to share it with you. Now, reason being, we talk about mobility. I talk about mobility constantly. Mm -hmm. Talk about mobility as being a mosaic of many different types of things. Um, I stumbled across this ad for what I thought were some amazing folding bikes. that were full-size bikes that were really classy, uh, made by a Massachusetts company. I'm from Massachusetts, so obviously I got real excited about that. Decided to look a little further into it. And um, ba- you can't talk mobility without talking bicycles. You can't talk bicycles in an urban setting without considering a folding bike, which basically simply allows the bike to be folded in such a way that lets it be compact and easily storable. Okay. Here's my question. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping this thing has more than one gear. Oh, absolutely. Some of them have upwards of 18 gears. Okay, now I've got a secondary question. When you say folding bicycle, mm-hmm. you have to understand I am picturing the Jetsons where it folds up into a briefcase. No, and that was the whole into... car. Right. But, I mean, if we don't have the folding car, are you telling me that I've got a bicycle that will just fold up into a little box and I'll put it in like a... Not quite that small. Okay. But small enough to fit in a small car. Small enough to fit in a small apartment. Small enough to fit under your desk at work if you need to. Okay, here's the thing. Uh huh. I went driving down one of our, our main streets here in the town we live in. Okay. I look up at a brand new, I'm assuming that it's an apartment complex. All okay. right. In this one building, every single one of them has a little itty-bitty deck. Yeah. The bikes are on the deck. Yeah, mm-hmm. I even saw one. I passed by, I think, probably the exact same building. But they had, um, on the other side of the block, most of them had, like, these little hangers that were going off of the rails, off mm-hmm. of their little patios. Mm-hmm. And their bikes would actually hang there. So it wasn't actually on their patio. It was almost hanging, like, off of one of those bike stands mm-hmm. that you would put on your car. Correct. Basically, most of these folding bikes we're talking about locked down in such a way that they are essentially theft-proof. So well, you that could, would be good. So you could theoretically hang it, but it would be more conservative. Could you imagine carrying that thing upstairs, mm. a full-size bike? Yeah. If you lived up a, a what we used to call up, you know, a three-story walk-up or something. Well, yeah, it's no. done all the time. Yeah, but you don't have to. With these lightweight bikes that fold, mm-hmm. they can fold in 15, 20 seconds. Yeah. And fold wow. small enough that you can take it on the train with you, throw it in the back of a small car, it just gives you another opportunity. And I, I had learned that although they've been around since World War I, they really didn't catch on until the 1970s. 
and really started picking up steam in the late 90s as environmental awareness and fitness fads led people to pursue more, in their words, active forms of transportation. So basically, the innovations now are lighter bikes that fold quicker. Well, and the other thing, too, is when you start talking about lighter bikes, up goes the cost of the bike. Not necessarily. Some of these bikes you can own for as little as 400 bucks. Now you want to pay more. The original bike company that I found had mm-hmm. the high-end bikes, which were really classy, that if you didn't know they were folding bikes, you would swear they were regular full-size bikes. Okay. But these things are so light and so awesome, you can fold them down inside the 15, 20 seconds, store them anywhere. Do you have a picture of this? Um, I have, I believe. I'd have to find it. Okay. Because um, I have actually different bikes. And that was the other thing. Um, the typical bike that the company I was thinking about um, is the uh, Montague. Does that look like a folding bike to you? No. It is. Montague, one of, many, one of a number of companies... This company started back in the late 80s in Massachusetts. These guys are so advanced. In 1997, Montague won a two-year grant from the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA. It's the technology portion of the Pentagon, Mm -hmm. who recognized the importance of folding technology to work with the United States Marines in developing a tactical electric no-signature mountain bike. I could see where that would be helpful. That gave them a new design uh, that they developed a bike called the Paratrooper. It was so successful, they started actually selling it retail. Yeah. And then uh, they've got uh, another series they called uh, Consumer Line, the X-Series. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And then they've got a lot of different ways you can get there. Some bikes uh, look like small wheels with a very high seat. Mm-hmm. They say with the, due to the gearing that they're every bit as uh, easy to ride and drive as a full-size bike. And I will tell you, I bought a hybrid bike back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And the guys, and I think mine is either 18 or 21 gear. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you something. I fell in love with that bike. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, all I'd ever had, the most gears I ever had was a 10-speed. Right. 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 You know, and... To buy that bike made bike riding so much more enjoyable. And that's the thing. Um, other companies, in addition to uh, Montague, uh, Zizzo, uh, Change Bike, another one called Flat Bike. All of these are talking about different types of folding bikes. And I, did, I just had no idea that this was a thing. But again, another piece of the mosaic as far as mobility is concerned. And I think that's one thing that we really need to emphasize here. Because, yes, you're right. This is a car show. Mm-hmm. This is a technology show. It's an information show. But, however, as much as I don't want to admit this, because I've said before how I feel about bikes on the street. <laughs> well, okay? let, me, let me help you. Hang on. Yep. This is one of the things we have to talk about because there's a lot of people and a lot of cities right now that are going through this evolution of we're going to put bikes out. Including the city we live in. Yes, it is. Um, We're a mobility show, Jack. A transportation show. Uh, We talk about flying cars. We've even talked about uh, boats and stuff. So, uh, next up, electric bikes, scooters, and chasing birds. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is heard exclusively on the Roadworthy Drive radio network. 
Worthy Drive. Like us on Facebook. This is the second part of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. Thank you for dropping by. I'm your host, Ken Chester. For those of you who want or need more than your fair share of the road, be sure to visit our website. That's roadworthydrive.com. Discover audio of past shows, watch our behind-the-scenes, in-studio antics as we record the show each week, and more. We can also be found now across the world of social media. Sasha keeps things light and lively between shows with her posts of breaking automotive news and interesting technology facts. For those of you who are truly mobile out there, you can now find us on Google Play and Blueberry Podcasting app, Blueberry, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y, podcasting, so you never have to leave home or your car without us. As I mentioned at the top of the hour, this visit is all about bicycles and scooters. For this installment, we're taking a look at electric two-wheel transportation, bicycles and scooters, and a new thing that's happening on the West Coast, which is called, and I'm not making this up, chasing birds. Chasing birds? Chasing, chasing birds. 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 It all comes together, I promise. I do. I do. Um, let, let, me, let me set this up for you. Okay. Every day, every afternoon... About 4 o'clock in the afternoon, when school lets out, uh, this one young man named Brandon, 18-year-old high school senior in Los Angeles, goes bird hunting. He heads for his minivan, and on the drive home, he'll swing through convenient neighborhoods picking up some 13 bird electric scooters along the way, tossing them in the back of his car. Okay. He has a whole system. Um, he'll take those home, put them on chargers. Then he'll charge for three hours when Bird makes more scooters available, charge a pickup, then he'll go back out. Over the course of the next few hours, Brandon loops around at Santa Monica, collecting as many scooters as possible, brings back his bounty, and as his parents sleep, neatly sets them up to charge in batches overnight. Next morning when he wakes up early, eats his breakfast, he drops them off in groups of three at designated, again, I'm not making this up, Bird Nests, designated pickup areas for scooters on his way to school. Brandon is a contract worker for Bird Scooters, and they pay him any, anywhere from a few hundred dollars a night to collect them and charge them up to $600 Wow! a night Wow! to go bird hunting. It's a thing. I guess. The thing about electric scooters is this has suddenly become a thing. Bird is one of several. San Francisco had a problem Austin had a problem. What happened, a company that has electric scooters decides to offer them, maybe near a college campus or something, and they're dirt cheap to rent. Uh, I think they were talking about a dollar, a dollar, let me back up. You can unlock them with a smartphone app. What a surprise. Uh, You pay a dollar unlocking fee, and you charge 15 cents a minute. And when you're done with it, you can leave it anywhere because they're undocked. Then these contract workers... Uh, because I guess these have some sort of geo-identification where these contract workers can go to the, the bird app and find where they're at, collect them, recharge them, and put them out again. It's a thing. Okay. When this happened in Austin, Austin got swamped with electric scooters. 
the city was in the process of trying to develop guidelines for them. Mm-hmm. And Bird and several others came to the city, just dropped a bunch of bikes. When the city finally figured it out, uh, the scooters went away. They're charging. They're charging Bird for them. Um, not so much. I think what ends up happening is that the old saying is better to ask forgiveness and permission. Mm-hmm. And I think that once they ended up getting re- restrictions, which I'm sure there were, um, they were probably less attractive uh, from a business standpoint. So this happens. But, yeah, right now birds are available in a growing number of American cities, Austin, Texas, Nashville, L.A., San Francisco, Scottsdale, Arizona, Washington, D.C., and Atlanta. The scooters are all battery-powered and dockless. So, like I said, they can be dropped off or picked up anywhere. So, and, you know, Bird even supplies the battery packs. And they say these these batteries are so small, it costs next to nothing to recharge them. That's awesome. So, yeah, you can get seriously paid bird hunting, chasing birds. It's a thing now. It's part of our mobility lifestyle. You know, you've got electric scooters at one end. But as they say, that's not all. What if I told you about a company that could turn any bicycle into an electric bike? So they can convert your, you know, grandfather's or sentimental value bike into an electric. With the use of what they developed called a Copenhagen wheel. Yes, they can. Okay. Um, Their electric Copenhagen wheel goes on the back wheel. Okay. And it interprets pedals. So when you need to pedal more, it kicks in. It's really cool. Yeah, I've actually ridden a (laughs) bike like that. Where it was made into an electric? No, it, no. This was literally pedal and ba- and electric. Okay. Oh, okay. This, this cool thing, red wheel, in the middle of the wheel, called the Copenhagen wheel, developed in Copenhagen, and could convert any bike quickly. The name of the company. I love the name of this company. Super pedestrian. <laughs> I didn't make this up. Sounds, sounds I did like not make this pedestrians. Up. You know, right? super yes. pedestrian is the name of the company. Based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Gee, could it be? Yeah. Near MIT? Yeah. Yeah. MIT sponsored company like so many Mm -hmm. on the East Coast. Here's another one. Um, A user attaches it to his or her bike and operates, gee, through an app. You see a pattern here? Yeah. We're all going to apps. Yes. We're app crazy. No, actually, before too much longer, we will have to have an app for breathing. Ooh, that's interesting. An app to register with an app. Yes. Because you need an app. For that. You need an app. Yeah. There's an app for that, by the way. Well, actually, what I need is an app, but go on. Yeah. An app for the app? Yeah. Or an, or an app for... Never mind. Anyway, uh, this Copenhagen wheel is essentially a circular, circular unit that houses a motor, battery, and sensor, and is placed in the middle of the rear wheel, measuring how fast and how forcefully someone is riding and adding a little electric oomph when a bike's pedals are pushed. Yeah. Now, this company, from going there, is they're taking the wraps off a totally second business that t- that's going to use all the data they have amassed from their customers to improve the offerings of urban mobility companies. In other words, they want to sell to, like, Bird and companies like that, uh, hardware and software that will help keep their fleets up to snuff. And it doesn't matter if the companies are running out electric bikes, scooters, 
mopeds are all three. Their words, super pedestrian is what they call micro vehicle agnostic. Never, heard, never would imagine those words would be put together. In any of those, Ken, do they say how fast they will go? They do not. But uh, not surprising, uh, they're looking for – did you realize that Uber actually has – rents out bicycles? Yes, we mentioned yes, that before mentioned and that you know, before. And you know who else does? Who? Are you ready for this? Go. The Ford Motor Company. It has nothing that. to do – she's going to do it. I know. She's going to do Ford it. The Ford Company. No, no, don't do it. Brought to you by Canvas. Brings us canvas, the stop, future of mobility. Stop, By the stop. way, you just got fined. Go I ah. know, that's right. Finally, in the last segment, the Tesla Model 3, an update. This is Roadworthy Drive. Go to roadworthydrive.com to check out Ken's blog, listen to past shows, and the times when you can see the show on Facebook Live. This is the last part of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. Here's a word for you. Tesla. For the last year or so, we've been tracking the progress of the (laughs) all-new, question, affordable Tesla Model 3 sedan. Uh, Note, uh, Jack, Sasha, I think I actually saw one a couple of days ago. Really? My first Model 3. No, Sasha, I didn't chase it down and threaten the driver. Did not do that. I mean. Did not do that. No, I didn't. Wanted to, though. I thought about you. I would imagine so. Yeah, but I did not do that. Okay. Didn't want to scare the driver. (laughs) Um, Because they could be a little frightened, you know. It's called carjacking. Ooh. (laughs) That's a little harsh. That's a little harsh. All I wanted to do was go on an extended test drive. Yeah. I understand. For a year or so. However, law enforcement would see it differently. Go on. Yeah, typically called a D-class felony around here. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, seems like that unlike the first reviews for the Model S, when the Model S came out, it actually broke uh, the automotive testing system. Both Consumer Reports and the Carpuff magazines, Mm -hmm. it got over 100. Yes, it did. How in the world do you get over 100? Exactly. It was that perfect. Okay. First time ever. Uh, The Model 3. Uh, not so much. Not, <laughs> not so much. All so much. The latest product from the fanatic from Fremont was a lot less favorable. Yeah, I went there. You gonna say that three times fast for us? Uh, no, I'm not. Um, Consumer Reports panned the car. They what? Panned it. Mean? They, they didn't like it. Oh, nope. they had some serious problems. They said that a Tesla Model Three, which is a subcompact, took seven more feet to stop than a fully loaded F one fifty. Whoa. Yeah, they were not feeling that. Also, Elon's out there talking about, gee, we need to ship uh, highly loaded models of the Model 3 in order to make any money in order to protect ourselves. And I went, wait a minute. When the thing was announced for the $35,000 car, uh, first of all, $35,000 car, anybody? That's not exactly cheap, my neck of the woods. No, it's not cheap. No. Mm-mm. I mean, it's not the most expensive thing, but it's not cheap. Oh, by the way, I saw a Cadillac Escalade Platinum, mm-hmm. $102,000. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, my goodness. On the dealer's lot in this town. You should have taken a picture of that MSRP because I don't think I've ever seen uh, one of those at that price. But, again, not surprised. We talked about Lincoln Navigator coming up to something like that. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it was the one that was – that. I was following on my way home last week that was literally driving that hundred and some odd thousand dollar vehicle mm-hmm. like he stole it. Mm. I will I will say it this way. <laughs> That's two and a half times the price of my parents' new house back in 72. Whoa. No, two and a half times. I mean, yeah. honestly, guys, that is a... Not so much a starter house anymore, but if, <laughs> you're, but, but if, you, but if you're in desperate straits... You could buy a house for that in an established neighborhood um, in this okay. town. I, my last two homes, mm-hmm. have been half of that price. Wow. Okay. Getting back to the Model 3. Right. Sorry. Yeah. You know. Side direction. Yeah. I'm bringing you all back. Come on. Home. Yeah, no kidding. Um, when that list, that list of 300,000 people, mm-hmm. they had determined that the average order in that list was $42,000. Did the so customer, what happened? Did the customer change change and upgrade what they wanted? Um, all I'm going to say is, there's still several hundred thousand orders pending for these cars. Right. Um, from what I understand, most of them were not bare bones when they when they placed the order. So the question I've got, the first question of many, is how did suddenly he end up? Because they don't build on spec; they build to order. It's the only way Tesla runs. Okay. So how are they in a situation where they feel they needed to build the base car uh, when most of their average orders were for a car that cost $7,000 more? Well, I'm thinking one of two things is happening here. One, the customer has ordered upgrades to the car. Number two, the other thing is Elon probably had in his contract that the price could go up because of economic conditions. Okay, but let me help you. The average price of the cars people were ordering before the car was built yes, they were. was higher than the bare bones car. What he's saying now is that he's locked into building a number of bare bones cars that he needs the mix to be higher in order to stay in business. I'm confused. So am I. Exactly. Um, getting back on that Model 3 test from Consumer Reports, uh, that stopping distance from 60 miles an hour... 152 feet. An F-150 stops shorter than that. Wow. And, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They also complained about its dashboard. All the controls and displays are on a center touchscreen with no gauges on the dash, few buttons inside the car. This layout forces drivers to take multiple steps to accomplish simple tasks. Our testers found that everything from adjusting the mirrors to changing the direction of the airflow from the air conditioning vents required using the touchscreen. Oh, that does awesome <laughs> things for, you know, paying attention to the road. That's kind of what I thought. Well, However. Well, unless you're stopped and you're doing it before you put the car in reverse. Right. Because, right. <laughs> I mean, that's the buzzer when you need it. Right. Because, I mean, we all know as we travel that temperature stays the exact that same. same. And you never change the radio station. Uh, Not ever. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, However, other Model 3 features such as steering and handling drew positive remarks from the reviewers. A little bit different reception than the Model S had. Makes me wonder. Um, They got to get it right. Yeah. And they got to get it done. 
And what we don't know right now is how many cars a week. Right now, the magic for them is they want to build 5,000 cars a week, roughly 1,000 cars a day. When They claim that once they get there and they can run at that run rate for three to six months, then they can build all the inexpensive Teslas they want. My question again is the way that the order book was original, he shouldn't have had that problem because no. they were more expensive to start with. And one other thing, the most expensive Model 3 right now, I saw the number, I had a moment. Uh, you, you, I don't know why you would do it, but a fully loaded Model 3 with all-wheel drive, a dual motor, a 310-mile range, but without autopilot, would cost, and as Jack says, wait for it, $78,000. What? If oh. I'm going to spend seventy eight grand, i am buying a Model S. Mm-hmm. Even yes. a used Model S, I'd buy it. Yep. So we're going to continue to see, but Consumer Reports didn't really like them all that much. And on that, that's all the time we have for this hour as this hour comes to a close. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive crew, thanks for listening. You have been tuned to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.